This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined not only by Robert Harvey and Jim Orr, but also by various guests as we travel back to 1999 to take on this week's subject. Before we dive into the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, we have our weekly trivia question for you. In the winter of 1979, how many times was a Scottish Cup second round tie between Inverness Thistle and Falkirk postponed? We will give you the answer at the end of this episode. In 1999, Boghead Park, the home of Dumbarton FC, was in a shabby state. One of Scottish football's famous old grounds had fallen into disrepair over the course of the 1990s, with terraces becoming overgrown with weeds as the club swithered over whether to renovate the ground or move to pastures new. By 1999, it was decided that the club would move to a new stadium which would be built on the site of Denny's shipyard and the old ground would no longer be needed. So why were the workmen moving in to make improvements to the ground after all these years of neglect and an upcoming stadium move? Put it another way, what do Ian McCall, John McVeigh, Owen Coyle and Ali McCoyst all have in common with Brian Cox, Michael Keaton and Robert Duval? The answer is they all appeared in the 2000 Hollywood film a shot at glory. Robert Duval's film project required an old-fashioned looking Scottish football ground and he was drawn to Boghead because of how old it looked. As a result, the ground had to be spruced up and improved ahead of filming in order to make the place suitable for Hollywood. This is our take on A Shot at Glory, one of the most bizarre films about Scotland ever released and Scottish football's Hollywood moment. If you were going to the pictures in the year 2000, there's a chance you could have been going to see Ali McCoyst as Jackie McQuillan, the ex-Celtic star who helped fire the fictional team of Kilnocky FC all the way to the Scottish Cup final against Rangers. However, had fate turned out differently, it might not have been Ali McCoyst playing Jackie McQuillan, but Russell Crowe. A meeting with Oscar-winning actor Robert Duval convinced Duval that Ali McCoyst was the leading man his film required. At this point, McCoyst was well known for not only his exploits on the pitch, but also his appearances on the BBC TV quiz show A Question of Sport. McCoyst was a popular contestant and team captain on the show, endearing himself to thousands of viewers across the country and Sue Barker. His enthusiasm and fun personality had won not only the British public over, he had also won over the Academy Award winner. Even Kevin Costner was won over, saying, He is a truly remarkable talent. It's rare that a sportsman can act, but Ali McCoyst is a natural. He has an Olivier-type quality. Robert Duval was a keen sports enthusiast and wanted to make a film about soccer. 
and his goal was to do a better job of making a sports film than the makers of the American football film Any Given Sunday, which he called an abomination. The plot of A Shot at Glory revolves around the small team of Kilnocky, from the fictional town of the same name, that is under threat to be moved to Dublin by its American owner if its form does not improve. Jackie McQuillan is signed in a last-ditch attempt to keep the team in the village, despite his reputation and his relationship with Duval's character Gordon MacLeod, his father-in-law. The film will be shot in various locations in Scotland, such as the fishing port of Creel in Fife, Boghead Park in Dumbarton, Palmerston Park in Dumfries, Rugby Park in Kilmarnock, and Hamden Park in Glasgow. Despite Boghead being used as Kilnocky's home ground for the purposes of the film, Kilnocky's fictitious run to the Scottish Cup final was inspired by that of Beardionians in the 1990s. The Diamonds were a formidable cup team in the 90s and famously reached both the 1992 and 1995 Scottish Cup finals. The 1992 final saw Airdrie take on Rangers at Hamden Park, hoping to emulate the success of their Lanarkshire rivals Motherwell by keeping the cup in the county for another year. First half goals from Mark Hately and Ali McCoy's put Rangers ahead at the break, but Andy Smith scored in the 81st minute to give the final minutes of the game some real drama. In the end, it was the favourites Rangers who prevailed, having beaten Premier Division sides all the way up to the final, Airdrie were in the First Division at the time of the final. In 1995, Airdrie's lineup contained players such as John Martin, Kenny Black, Andy Smith and Jim McIntyre, and they were managed by Alex MacDonald. Well, Tommy Bombs the Celtic side were under pressure to deliver their first trophy since 1989's Scottish Cup win. Celtic's lineup contained players such as Pat Bonner, Tom Boyd, Paul McStay, John Collins and Simon Donnelly. Despite Airdrie's heroics on the way to the final, it was Celtic's day as a Pierre Van Hoydonk header won the game 1-0 for the hoops. Several Diamond players would be used as cast members in the film. As the plot of the film progressed, Kilnocky went through to the semi-finals of the Scottish Cup where they faced Kilmarnock. While the real Kilmarnock team were playing an away match against Dundee United at Tanadice, Rugby Park was used to film the fictitious semi-final. Kilmarnock produced match tickets and even a programme as Hollywood came to East Ayrshire. Sports commentator Andy Barge was taken along to the filming as a young boy and he gives us some of his memories. When did you first remember hearing about A Shot at Glory? It's it's quite hard to tie it together because I went along with my parents um, and I think I was so young, I would have been five or six if it was filmed in 99. Um, so young that I, I think I struggled to grasp that it wasn't a an actual football game. Um, because I remember the stop-start nature of it at Rugby Park um, confused me a wee bit, and I can I can't remember exactly what my dad said, but I remember him having to to kind of bend down and explain to me at various points throughout what what was actually happening, what was going on, because it didn't feel like a, a real football game. The I can't remember the point that I first heard about it, or was told you know like you are going to go and uh, be part of this, um, but I can remember struggling to understand that it was. That this is where we're kind of extras in a movie, yeah. And I take it that you'd never done anything like that before, just being so young. Nah, no, no way. Back in the nineties, um, nothing like that. Uh, school play, maybe. <laughs> Given that you were as young, did anything kind of um, surprise you about the the nature of the day? I can remember being. I'm sure it was. I'm sure we were in the Frank Beatty stand. 
I do, I, I do remember struggling to grasp the game stopping and starting. You know, people like kind of being told what to do. That that was the the thing for me. I'm sure that why I was confused. It obviously as part of the football game when you go to see it when you go to rugby park these days. It's the enjoyment comes from spontaneity, from the anticipation and the unexpected nature of things that unfold in front of you. Whereas obviously this was all very orchestrated and false, I suppose, because it's a movie. So yeah, that was that. That's that's uh, that's the stick out. Either in the moment or looking back at the film, which personalities impressed you the most, and I suppose also the least as well. God, I've not seen I've not seen this film since I was in primary school. So I think that at the time I was I knew who Alan McCoyst was, was well aware of that. I was a big football fan from a young age, so I could grasp that, you know, that was quite a cool thing. So the fact that a footballer was in the movie was something that impressed me. I know that there was I haven't done a bit of research, I know there was other footballers, there was guys from Airdrie and, and Wraith Rovers, I think, that were in the movie as well. Didi Agat, of all people. <laughs> Was a was part of the film, uh, Ian McCall, I think. So, yeah, I think I, I didn't analyse movies in that sense when I was a young a young boy. But at the time, I remember thinking, "What well, Ali McCoy is in a movie? That's that's quite fun." I'm sure I watched it with my parents, but just because well, it was a football film, so I would have watched it anyway. I was football daft and, and still am, but uh, I would have watched it with my parents. I think just for the extra fun aspect of it, that maybe try to spot ourselves in the crowd. That I can't remember doing that, so I'm, I'm assuming that we didn't, because I'm pretty sure that would stick out as a memory. Um, but I will have watched that with my parents. I remember, yeah, um, just because we'd been a part of the the filming process. If there was another film, imagine that Hollywood is coming back to Scottish football to make another film <laughs> similarly. Um, would you choose to be an extra in a film like it again? And if so. What would your ideal role in it be, given you're now a commentator for um, Kilmarnock and also for a uh, sports scene? Yeah, I would definitely get involved in something like that. It's, it's I mean, I'm, I'm no actor. I'm not not good at that sort of thing. My girlfriend's an actress, and it's I find it incredible how she can just switch on and switch off different personalities and whatnot when she needs to. I, I could never do something like that. So I think being an extra would would suit me just fine, where I don't need to kind of play up. On, on camera or anything. I would I would quite like to be a I would I'd quite like to do like a voiceover or something for it or a commentary aspect to it. Kelly fan and musician Paul Montgomery also went to the game and he remembers the filming as such. When did you first hear about a shot at glory being filmed? Uh, so I think so I was a season ticket holder back then and like I was 13, so I was going to all the, the games at Rugby Park and sort of like very, very involved in all things Kelly. Um, so I'm sure it, it had been a bit of a call to action in the programme perhaps, or um, maybe even over the tannoy um, at Rugby Park. Uh, so it was it felt like quite a big deal at the time and it felt like uh, it was a bit of a golden ticket that we'd managed to get. So I managed to get two tickets for the filming. Looking back now, they were probably ten a penny. But um, I so just been running about rugby park regularly at that age. Um, it was obviously at the forefront of quite a, a a lot of things in terms of the filming and the sort of promotion of the, the film. So I I've obviously just heard about it in passing and fancied going along. 
what made you want to go to the film? And I know you've said that it kind of felt like it. Was it something you would have done or did you need to be persuaded to go along? Oh, definitely didn't need to be persuaded. Like, when you're 13, um, you're looking for stuff to do anyway, I suppose. And uh, that's how old I am, Andy. This is before we had the internet and all that. So uh, we were just desperate to put for things today. So, no, we, I definitely didn't take any persuading. And it seemed like, a, a, I suppose, an interesting, out of the ordinary event for it to be getting filmed at Rugby Park and in Kilmarnock anyway. So I suppose a wee bit like Elton John playing at Rugby Park or when... Rod Stewart played, it was like a, a wee novelty factor more than anything. And obviously we having a few kind of stars attached to the film. Uh, I felt like a cool thing to be part of. What do you remember about the nature of the filming? So I remember it being quite a long day. Uh, I was I remember being mildly disappointed with how sort of dull an experience it was because um we went into the ground and shown to your seat and obviously they're having to shoot and reshoot scenes. So one particular that stands out was Owen Coyle on the left-hand side, crossing balls in for Andy Smith to header. Um, and it took him, honestly, maybe 50 or 60 goes to to get the goal, to, to jump up and, and header it by the goalie. But you had to celebrate every time. So they would cut it and they're the, the guy had the sort of customary, stereotypical loudspeaker, and he'd shout to the, the audience right when he scores. So the cro coil would cross it and Smith would miss the heater. Um, and so, right, cut back again. So by the 50th or 60th time, uh, your sort of enthusiasm for celebrating the goal had maybe diminished slightly. But uh, aye, so it was quite a kind of long and laborious sort of task. But still, like, interesting enough and it was I think it was a nice sunny day as well so it wasn't too bad. What do you remember about any of the Kelly I say players, players in inverted commas, given that Kelly were playing away that day at Tanadice to Dundee United? I so I, I didn't even know that, that Kelly had had a game that day. That's quite interesting. So uh I just remember it was like a kind of mishmash of sort of lower league players, I think. Um when you look through the cast, it was like the 1995 Panini sticker album sort of <laughs> had found their way to Hollywood. It was a bit weird. Uh, but I like, I don't remember being overly like familiar with loads of the players that were in the Kelly strip. Um, I think there might have been a few younger players, maybe a few reserve players or guys coming back for injury. Um, but I don't remember any as such uh, that like, jumped out at me at the time or even now when I'm thinking about thinking about the film. What personalities, either on the day or later on, impressed you the most in the film? So, I actually really like the film. I know it's quite cheesy. Um, and and I, I dare say that like for the, the, the purists that wouldn't be the best watch in the world, there's some dodgy accents and stuff like that. But like, I actually really like the film. And I don't know whether it's just because I've got such a keen interest in Scottish football and... Um, like being part of it, I suppose, but I thought I think McCoist is brilliant in it, um, and he was like a big star. He was obviously uh, playing with us at the time, so like he was a big star, um, and it was cool to be part of that. Like again, I, the Owen Coyle and Andy Smith like stick out because um, of that like <laughs> sixty-five goes at the cross in the header. Uh, 
I remember the goalkeeper John Martin. I know he's he's got quite a prominent role in the film when he was he was a a character in Scottish football. But thinking about these guys mixing with the likes of Michael Keaton, who was Batman to me when I grew up, and a big 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 star in Beetlejuice as well. So thinking about this like crossing over of these worlds was bizarre. And even the older you get now, like we were sitting really close to Robert Duvall because we were right. We tried to get right behind the the dugout to try and. Make make it into a scene or whatever, and uh, God, thinking about him at Rugby Park you now, like you now that you really appreciate the Godfather and what an, an incredible actor he was, it's it's quite strange thinking about it. So loads of big names and personalities that stuck out. It was a really really interesting experience, especially in hindsight. If there was to be another Hollywood moment for Scottish football, for example, if um they were going to come back and make another film similar, just a kind of football film. Uh, would you choose to be an extra again? Uh, oh, I would definitely get involved again. I think uh, really interesting thing to be part of and like a nice wee memory. And it's uh, and again, every time it pops up on, on the TV now and again, I actually own the DVD uh, as well. I don't know how many people like me there are in the world that have got a shot at glory on DVD, but uh, aye, so it's a really cool wee part of football history. And again, um, I think in particular, if if they were able to attract the sort of names that that show that Glory attracted, I mean, it's 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 actually crazy to think about it because proper big Hollywood stars that were involved. So I would absolutely get involved in, in something like that again, and um, even just to be able to tell the tale and say I was there. Um, aye, it was a really really interesting experience and. A, a really nice wee part of, part of Scottish football history, I think. For the climax of the film, Hampden Park became the biggest film set in Scotland as the minnows of Kilnockie came up against Rangers, managed by Scottish actor Brian Cox. John Robotham had yet to referee a real Scottish Cup final in 1999 but was the man in black for this showpiece fixture. Robotham, who would later officiate at the 2005 Scottish Cup final between Celtic and Dundee United, told us, I refereed the final and had a stunt double for a scene that had to be shot a few days later. I remember getting the makeup done, sitting in front of the mirror with light bulbs round it. Thousands of people came to the National Stadium as extras, including Rangers fan and musician Blair Innes. Blair tells us some of his memories about what turned out to be his first experience of seeing Rangers. First of all, what game, in inverted commas, did you go to the filming of? I went to the, the cup final at Hamden. And I understand uh, that was a special cup final for you because it was your <laughs> first ever game of football. Well, not my first ever game of football, first ever technically Rangers game. But at the time, and in fact, until I watched the film earlier, I believed there was actual Rangers players playing in it. And then when I've watched it back, there obviously isn't. So I don't know if I can count it as my first Rangers game, but it's not my first game of football but it would be a quite an early game, definitely. Maybe first experience of Rangers then, if we can call it that. I would say so, because I remember it being a big a big day. It felt like, a, well, in my memory, it felt like 
just go down the football. When did you first hear about a shot of glory being filmed? Is it just one of these things where like you're taken along by an older relative who says, Come on, we're going to be in a film? Or did you see it and did you just want to go? I had literally no idea. So I don't remember what age I would have been. I know I was young. Was it 1999 it was filmed? Yeah, 99. So I would have been six then. So I remember going with my mum, my dad, and my cousin. I think they obviously would have known about it, but I was just there because obviously I was six. I never knew anything about this being a film until, I don't know, like maybe 2006 or something. And then my mum was like, oh, yeah, you should watch this film because we were in it. And I was like, what? (laughs) What do you remember about the day itself? Because obviously it's not quite a football game. There's going to be scenes being shot Mm. and reshot. Do you remember anything in particular? I just remember it being just like, just a game. I don't remember being like stopping and starting for filming and I don't know, it just seemed like, just is this what football is like at big stadiums? I remember getting an inflatable alien, um, I feel like a wee vendor outside the stadium, but that's all. I don't have many memories of like filming and all that stuff. It just to me, it was just like, oh my God, I'm watching Rangers. (laughs) What? personalities and you can say this about the day itself or looking back on the film um, who impressed you the most in the film and also maybe who impressed you the least as well just for a bit of criticality Obviously Alan McCoyst, the hero of mine, I think he'd done a good job I think he was quite believable sadly as being a Celtic legend Robert Duvall obviously is an amazing actor but I think if you didn't know he was a big Hollywood actor, you'd probably think he was just a wee Scottish guy who's just landed this role in a film. Michael Keaton. I don't know how I don't know how they managed to make this film, like with these people in it. If there was another film, let's imagine that Hollywood um decided to give Scottish football their treatment once again. If there was gonna be another film uh, that came out on a similar kind of thing and they were looking for extras at a ground, would you choose to go to a similar kind of thing like that again? Absolutely. Um, I wish I was older when I went to it because I think it would have been a good laugh and I think it would have been a good wee thing to remember like how it worked and obviously seeing like the actors there and that, but obviously I was young, but I would definitely go back to something like that. I don't think it'll ever happen again, but I'd like to, I would definitely be interested in it. In terms of the cast, Robert Duval was keen to feature as many professional players as possible from the Scottish League. Didier Gatt, Andy Smith, Owen Coyle and Ian McCall all featured prominently in the film. Ian McCall's big break in acting would come in a scene where Kilnocky were playing away to Queen of the South in the quarter-finals of the Scottish Cup. And after an on-field spat, McCall's character got punched by Jackie McQuillan. I spoke with Charlie Adams, who played with Kilmarnock, Kilwinning Rangers, Partick Thistle, Clyde Bank and Queen of the South about his role in the film. In your career as a footballer, um, I believe you started off at Kilmarnock. Who else did you play for in your career? So I was a, a young uh 
apprentice at Comalic and then we got a f- professional contract there uh, under Tommy Burns and then uh, didn't get much opportunities uh, when Alex Taunton became the manager because Tom Burns just left to go to Celtic so I left to go to Partick Thistle under John Lambie, uh, Murdo McLeod, John McVeigh and then I moved to Clydebank and under Ian McCall and then I moved to Queen of the House where I played in the Shot to Glory film and then during that period of my time, I was also going through, uh, latterly, part-time at Queen of the South, I went, became a PE teacher, and that's when I was getting a wee bit too much, and I decided to go junior football and just concentrate on my studies and play junior football at a few of the other teams, like Conan Rangers and Irving Meadow. Um, how did you get involved um, in a shot at Glory? It was, it was just a weird uh, opportunity that came to the club, and one of our... Uh, the chairman at Queen of the South Football Club was part of the writers group that uh, helped write the, the screenplay for Shot to Glory. He had said that he would be delighted to host Queen of the South as one of the teams. And it's a, a wee traditional type of Scottish stadium, a part-time club with good support. Uh, it was actually a Sunday we played the game and we actually had the biggest crowd. I was at Queen of the South for three years, I think. It was the biggest crowd we had at Palmerston. I think we had about 8,000 people there. And I'd played in Scottish Cup quarterfinals and stuff against Dundee United, and we never got a big crowd like that. So it was great. It was a really great atmosphere. So Norman Blunt was uh, the chairman, and he managed to managed to get a few uh, favours in to get our team in the, the film. I believe, watching it back, that you were the number seven for Queen's that day. That's right, yeah. Um, we were having a, a laugh about it at the time because... We're all, we're all desperate, we're all starting up when we get told that Robert Duval, Michael Keaton, Alan McCoy's and all these people are going to be in the film. You all wanted to be part of it and for a team like was a part-time team getting that type of uh, Oscar type of actors uh, involved in a film that you could be somehow a, a small part of it, we're all keen so we're all picking our numbers and being part of it, get haircuts and stuff like that but it was just a, it was a lovely experience for all the, the, the boys involved and the supporters to see a big budget movie type of getting made at the, a small place like Dumfries. Were any of your old uh, managers or teammates also involved in the film? Yeah, um, John McVeigh, who's my manager at uh, Queen of the South, uh, at Partick Thistle, sorry, was the assistant manager to Robert Duval in the film. And John McVeigh was one of these characters, he's larger than life, he's a real character, and he'd meet Partick Thistle. And uh, we type of had a funny relationship. We got on really, really well, but he was really hard on me. I was just a younger player, and he was really hard on me. And he used to give me a right hard time all the time. And and what he used to say was, he, the reason he did that was because he liked me, and he saw the opportunity to do well. So he was always on my case. And he actually introduced me, he actually sold me to Queen of the House, uh, to Clyde Bank. And he actually introduced me to Robert Duval at the start of the game. He went, oh, Robert, this is one of my favourite all-time players that I had and worked with. And I always thought, you know, he's a, a young boy. I always thought he didn't really like me that much. But it turned out I was one of his favourite players. So that was a nice moment, a really nice uh, John to do that because it was some experience meeting a Hollywood A-lister like uh, Robert Duval. And, and then the team, the Kulnoki team that played, a lot of the players were former Airdrie players that John had good contacts with. So I knew a lot of the players like Alan Lawrence, Stephen Hamilton, Jimmy Boyle. Um, There's a, lo- a lot of type of seasoned professional players who are nice guys. Ian McCall, actually, who's my, my teammate at Partick Thistle. 
and uh, signed me at Clyde Bank. Uh, he he did a speaking type of part. He did a type of small part. He was to wind Alan McCoyst up on the film. And um, so he was actually playing with Colnocchi. So he was a, he's a, a close friend of mine. When you met Duval, were you starstruck? I was. I, I think I was more surprised by John McVeigh's uh, introduction as, a, as one of my his favourite players. But he, he was just really nice. He was really friendly and he was just a, a, came across as a genuine, really nice guy that loved football. And he was just asking questions about the club, how we got on the day before, could be a league game the day before. I can't remember score, but it was just really interesting and really interested to find out about the club. In terms of the actual filming of the game down at Palmerston, how did that differ from a regular match day when you were down there? It was um, it was just exciting for us because it was the big, as I said, it was the biggest crowd I'd played in front of Queen's House. So there was a real buzz, and the cameras were there, and there was a big um, or the production team. So they, they said to us, we're just going to go and play a normal 30-minute game and we just want you to play a game at high tempo so it looks realistic and we'll just get footage from that and then we'll stage a few of the type of key points from that game. And we said, that's fine. So we played and although we played it is a, a bit of a friendly type of fixture, but they said, try and make it as high tempo as you possibly can. So during that game, I actually scored. A reasonable goal. It wasn't a cracking goal, but it was an, I ran away celebrating the crowd. We're all celebrating. So I was like over the moon. I was ecstatic because I was going, I'm going to be in this Hollywood film because I were told the final score was going to be 3 2. So I was like, yeah, absolute beauty. I'm going to be in this film. So we played the game and it was a wee bit, it was a wee bit like friendly, but you were trying to make it fast tempo so it looked realistic when it went into the camera. And then they stopped and then they were setting up different um, scenes for it. One being uh, Alan McCoy's type of scores off overhead kick before um, before he gets sent off. So that was interesting because they stopped and told us what they looked for. They said, right, what we're looking for is Walter to go wide to the wide player and he looks up and he sees McCoy in the box and he throws a high ball in and Alan McCoy is to do an overhead kick. So the director was an American fellow and he said, do that. So they said, okay. So they set it up. So we were to be slightly passive to let it happen, but not to make it fake looking. And they did it out wide. I think it was to own coil, own coil, put it into the box. And of course, did this perfect overhead kick and everybody ran away celebrating. And it was a fantastic overhead kick. And uh, Alan McCoyce is was hilarious all day, but he was saying, oh, are you happy with that one? That's one, one take, wonder and stuff like that. And they went, oh, that's exactly what I want. He said, if you can just do that again, we're filming this time. And everybody was killing themselves laughing because then it took about another 20 takes and we couldn't get anything like it. And eventually they had to throw the ball up and McCoy's just had to do an overhead kick for like an overhead kick from a throw-in type of thing. But it was it was really interesting to see how all these things work. But um, there was uh, some great moments. One of the scenes we had to score our goal was um, the manager, uh, the director said, who's the goal scorer? And we were all type of fighting to say, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. And uh, the, our oldest player, the uh, most senior player, Stevie Marlin, who was our type of centre forward, I played up front with Stevie. He said, oh, I'm, I'm the main striker. And Stevie Marlin's son now plays with uh, Hibs, I think, or he's in mm. loan somewhere. But he said, I'm the main striker. So the, his... His stage goal was to go hit it straight at John Martin, who was a goalkeeper who'd played for 80 years, and John Martin was to let it through his legs, and it was to be 
there was a scene in the in the, in the film saying like you should sh- shut your legs and stuff like that and a bit of a joke about that. And uh, Stevie Marley went, all right. And I said, no way, Stevie, because Stevie used to just hit the ball as hard as he could. He never he wasn't one for placement, he was more for power. So I said, Oh, this uh, this isn't gonna happen first time. So it, Stevie eventually it took about five, six tapes before Stevie could hit it straight at him, because he always just used to hit the ball as hard as he could. But, um, so there was definitely parts that were staged, but they did try to get a, a good half hour of footage just the real live action to get it looking realistic. Because that's sometimes what they say about sports films, they can do a wee bit, they look a little bit fake, like they escape to victory and stuff like that, when you know, Pele goes around 11 players and then scores an overhead kick. and that, It looked a wee bit, you know, they'll just let them passive. Uh, so we're looking for the, the effective uh, gameplay were there any of the, the actors as opposed to the players who impressed you with their abilities acting, football or otherwise? Alan McCoyce was amazing, like uh, really, really good. Um, and I couldn't believe it like, because he was still, at that time, I think he was still playing with Kumark or maybe just finished playing with Kumark. But he was brilliant and he was just hilarious, great fun with everybody, time for everybody. And, and at the end, we got a, a cracking team picture with a big uh, wall of his, and um, Duval came in, and McCoy's came in, and the photographer was saying, all right, celebrate as if you're winning a cup, and McCoy's quick as a sharp said, these guys don't know what it's like to win a cup, said behind so it just, it was, I remember it was a great day, and McCoy's and Duval and all the guys made it a wonderful experience for all of us. If there was a similar kind of film, let's imagine a hypothetical film, Hollywood comes back to Scotland, and, um, they want extras, etc. Would you be up for doing something like that again, hypothetically? I honestly, and it's one of those things, and I say this to the kids that I teach just now. When opportunities come along, you should just always grab them, and it might be the best thing you do, and it might be the worst thing. But until you take part in these type of things, you never know. And I had a great time, and I've got great memories, and uh, it's actually one of uh, my. We still laugh about this. For time to time, if it was to come on the TV, some of the boys that I played with at the time will say, oh, shot to glory's on. So I, for all, all these type of things, I think it's a wonderful experience. And until you take part in the experience, you don't know if you're going to enjoy it or not. So you grab these things when they come along. Did you go and see the film when it got released? There was chat, there was all this type of chat. Um, you're going to get invited to the, the premiere in Glasgow and stuff like that. But there, there was loads of teams. They must have played about four or five games. So I don't. I think obviously the chairman and, and maybe the manager get invited up. But we actually got. We didn't get invited to the the film. We get. We got a the club got a payment uh, for us taking part. And the payment, the club actually said to us, see rather than whatever giving you X amount of pounds. We'll have a night out the night before we, we did the film. We went out in Carlisle and we stayed in a hotel in Lockerbie and we had a great night out and we had great fun. And that was type of like our wee reward type of for taking part. So we, had a, we played this match on the Saturday, I think it was Stennis Muir, straight out and had a few a few drinks and some tea out in the Carlisle and then had a night out. And then we all went, we came back by bus to, to film about 10 o'clock in the morning. But it was just a, it was more just an experience in the camaraderie, doing something totally different from playing league games against Stirling Albion and Arbroath, and it was great. So, how was the film received? Financially, the film flopped at the box office, only bringing in just over $133,000 
after costing an estimated $9 million to make. But while it may not have fared as well as Robert Duvall would have liked, the film has a 67% favourable rating on film website Rotten Tomatoes and a 66% rating on Metacritic. In addition, the film has accumulated a cult following among fans of Scottish football. While elements of the film seem bizarre to people who actually follow football in Scotland, such as the quarter-final being moved from Kilnockie to Dumfries after 8,000 Queen of the South fans are expected to descend on the fictional town, or the use of bagpipes at every game in Scotland, in my view, it's an entertaining enough watch providing you're not expecting anything like Duval's other films, Apocalypse Now or The Godfather. Craig Fowler of A View From The Terrace even went as far as calling the film the greatest unintentional comedy ever. So, if you're after a 90s-tinged nostalgia trip, needing a new film to watch at the weekend, or simply love Ali McCoist, A Shot At Glory might just be the flick for you. At the start of the episodes, we asked you how many times the Scottish Cup second round tie between Inverness Thistle and Falkirk was postponed in 1979. The answer is 29 times. This update comes from the Guardian newspaper's The Knowledge column. The original date for the game was the 6th of January, but the clubs had to wait 47 days until the Kingsmills ground in Inverness was eventually declared playable on the 22nd of February. When the match took place, four first-half goals helped Falkirk seal their spot in the third round. However, because of the 71-day period between the second-round draw and Falkirk's win, Billy Little's side were forced to visit Dundee just three days later in round three where a late penalty ended their cup journey. A respectable crowd at Inverness of around 1,500 paid gate receipts of £780. This is approximately £4,000 in today's money. To add insult to injury, the £100 Man of the Match award was won by one of the Falkirk players and he didn't even score and their 4-0 win. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. The Scottish Football Citizen is written Edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland, in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from The Guardian, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, A View from the Terrace, TheSetPieces.com, The Daily Record, BBC Sports Scotland, and the Glasgow Times. Special thanks to Andy Barge, Paul Montgomery, Blair Innes and Charlie Adams for speaking to us.